Welcome to episode 780 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? I am in recovery mode. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw that I had to have wrist and forearm surgery, uh, which gives me a whole new perspective on any baseball hitter that has had that now. Uh, I am in day four of not being able to use that hand for anything, and it sucks. Uh, and I, I'm so I'm glad we're talking because my words per minute is now down to about 20 from 75 to 80, and I'm, I'm hating life. Other than that, doing well. How about you? Uh, fighting off a cold, which has been fun uh, with the amount of podcasts I've recorded this week. But uh, since you and I are both banged up in different ways, we thought we'd bring in uh, you know a kind of a fresh arm, uh, a guy who can you know kind of pick up the slack around the podcast. And that's our good friend, Vlad Sedler. Vlad, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, gentlemen? Uh, nice to uh, to join you guys here today. Uh, Yay! Always a pleasure to have you on the pod, my friend. Uh, for those who don't know, though I can't imagine at this point nobody there's, there's anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and where people reach you at? Uh, well, I'm on... Uh... Twitter, you can find me at RotoGut. Um, I I live, breathe, and eat fantasy baseball uh, season long specifically. So I guess I'm on the right pod. Um, I uh, write for for Fantasy Guru. Uh, a lot of my season long work can be found there. Doing a lot of preseason articles at the moment, including an ADP market report during the season. I do a lot of uh, free agency bidding, fab articles, and uh, just you know, uh, been playing high stakes uh, NFBC for a really long time and. You know, played a little, played a little tout with uh, with with the two of you guys. So um, or tout wars that is. Um, just love the baseball. <laughs> and I I can attest. Uh, the Fab article alone is worth the price of subscription. Like go and subscribe to Vlad stuff just for that alone. And anything on top of it is gravy. But that that Fab article is fantastic that you do. That's kind. Thank you very much, Justin. Oh, well, it's it's well deserved. Uh, we are on kind of a strict deadline today because I have a family event that I have to get to. Uh, so I'm going to push things along and probably won't give m- too much of my own kind of analysis, but just throw it to Jason and Vlad here uh, so that way we can move things along and this not turn into a three-hour pod like Paul and I did the other day. So uh, we're going to jump into some notable transactions and then talk about a few hard-to-value players that have some wide ranges in ADP uh, for various reasons. Uh, first, let's talk about Wade Davis, because apparently he has been named the closer because the Rockies are bad at what they do. So, Vlad, what are your thoughts on Wade Davis, and is he a guy that you're willing to kind of go after late? You know what? I think, um, and I actually covered it this weekend in, in, in one of my pieces, but it's, it's a scenario that you want to not even have to be a part of. Um, you want to sort of set up your fantasy rosters where you don't have to really go after the Rockies closer, you know, whatever the Mariner situation is, um, you know, uh, same thing with the Marlins. Uh, you want to kind of have your saves intact so you don't have to chase this and deal with the, the headache and the heartache that would, would probably ensue. Um, Wade Davis, as far as I know, Bud Black wants him to be the guy because he's done it before. Two years ago, he saved 43 uh, for this team. Uh, Scott Oberg did perform well. He's probably the better straight-up pitcher at this point, even though he's got a little bit of uh, his own warts. But I do kind of feel like Wade Davis is, you know, he's healthier this year, and I do think he's going to get every opportunity to perform. 
Um, and then, of course, also he had like what an 80 ERA, a 188 WHIP. Um, those numbers were obviously a little bit tilted because of the injury, and he wasn't fully healthy all year. And even if you look at his indicators, they were a lot lower than that. So he's not an eight ERA pitcher. Um, he's probably somewhere four to five. Um, do I believe that he's going to have like this full revival, bounce back, amazing season? Not necessarily. So in general, I feel like it's a, a spot you want to try to avoid. Jason. Yeah, so you mentioned off air, uh, like, hey, I wonder what Wade Davis's contract is. Went to look it up. Wade Davis has a vesting option this year. If he finishes 20 games, just finishes, doesn't have to save, finishes 20 games, $15 million option kicks in for next year. Why the Rockies would want that is beyond me. Now, for me, if, like buying opportunity, go ahead. Name him the closer. If I'm, I want to go get shares of Jairo Diaz. That's the guy that I like in this bullpen. You know, uh, Vlad made mention of Oberg. I loved Oberg last year. Uh, he was on the cheap, was able to get him in a few leagues and get some profit out of him. Diaz is the guy that I look at this year because when I look at overall skills between those two, Diaz doesn't have – he's really dominant uh, against right-handed batters. We're talking a, a strikeout minus walk a percentage of 25%. 287 weighted on base average against like he's got the best overall skills of this bunch. So that's the guy that I want to throw a dart on at you know, end game dollar uh, kind of thing and see how that profit turns out. This job is not Wade Davis's to keep. I, I don't know how long he's going to do it, but if I'm Rocky's ownership, I'm going down to Bud Black's office and being like, dude, really? What the hell? We're trying to we're trying to do something with this team. And you want to you want his 15 million dollar option to kick in. No, thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I agree uh, with both of you. So let's uh, we'll move on. Uh, Mike Clevenger is killing fantasy owners that uh, drafted early this season. Um, so he's going to have knee or he underwent knee surgery on Friday. He's going to be out six to eight weeks uh, due to a partial tear in his meniscus. So, Jason, where are you drafting Mike Clevenger or are you just avoiding him in general? You know, I'm a, I was yesterday. I was uh, hanging out with uh, Curtis Jones. Lives here locally. Plays NFBC, uh, and we were talking about Clevenger. I think he told me that he was going to take him in the fifth round, uh, but then he wasn't there in the fifth round. Uh, you know, for me, you guys know how I am with injuries. Guy says he's uh, guy says he's going to be back in three to four weeks. I'm thinking more five to six weeks, uh, and so that's where I am with Clevenger. He's saying. People are thinking he may miss two to three starts. I'm putting up more four to five starts. Uh, and so for me, I can't take him in the fifth round if he's only going to make 28 starts. And that's because in the fifth round, you're talking SP2 in the most case. And uh, I'm not there. All right, Vlad, where are you taking uh, Mike Clevenger? So I'm, I'm kind of with Jason in where uh, I guess as I as I get older and more more conservative, at least in terms of my, my fantasy, uh, you know, analysis it's more this is specifically for injuries like i don't want to start the year with a bunch of injured guys you can only have so many of those slots i remember one important team last year you know i took a stab at luis severino and there were a couple of spots later like oh man i really want to get this minor leaguer just stash him on my team i mean you can really only have so many of those guys um and you also need to err on the side of caution of how long a guy will be out for you do want to kind of uh, project for the, the the worst case scenario. Granted, this isn't um, you know the biggest deal in the world. Um, I think the, the the time that it takes some for somebody to turn around for this is is about fair. What they have listed, it'll probably be six to seven weeks. Uh, as far as his fantasy value and where he goes, um, you know what? He was the twenty sixth starting pitcher overall last year, despite missing a whole bunch of starts. Like the starts you will get out of him are really really good. 
The problem is right now, uh, since he's been hurt, his price hasn't suffered all that much. Like he's going in the third, fourth round. And to me, that's just, it's just a little too high. And, you know, Jason was just talking about his conversations with, uh, well, I know, I know Kurt as well. Um, You know, that fifth round is where I'd probably start considering him. But that's the thing. He's probably not there at that point. You do know when you do get him back, you're going to have a whole bunch of good starts. And hey, if he's back end of April, that's what projects six to eight weeks now. You know, that's not bad. You're going to get a good value there. But third and fourth round right now, I, I just can't do it. All right. Uh, speaking of Indians news, the Indians finalized a deal with Domingo Santana. Uh, Santana had a great start to the season, but it uh, it ended poorly for him. Though the overall line wasn't bad. 21 home runs, 8 stolen bases, 253 batting average in 121 games. Vlad, where are you at on Domingo Santana? Uh, you know what? Actually, he was another guy that uh, I, I have in the, the the ADP market report just because, you know, I mean, remember last year he was a big helium guy early on, like in, in February drafts. Uh, people were expecting big things. Um, he can even still steal a few bases. He's getting closer to 30 years old, but, but you know, he's not quite there yet. Still a couple years away from that. He could steal a few bases. He could easily hit 25 plus home runs. He's a good late round target. Um, his big issue, of course, always is the strikeouts, a very, you know, high strikeout rate there, usually over 30%. But I think he'll fit in pretty nicely in Cleveland. Um, he's definitely one of those guys that I just have on my list uh, bolded of, you know, I need some power in the late rounds. Let's take a look. Uh, is, is a good spot to take Santana. Jason, where are you at on Santana? So I think the key thing to uh, think about him is the overall impact on the roster because he is out of options. So he has to stay with the club. Uh, and when you look at other guys like Jake Bauer, somebody I, I didn't like, uh, you know, he's almost slotted for AAA. He's going to go back down. So he's could because Bowers has options. Believe it or not, so does the dentist. Somehow, Delano DeShields still has one more option, so he could even go down. And so this could hurt his playing time. So if you're looking at him as, as a stolen base option in Cleveland, he may not have as many opportunities now. If they're going to have Domingo Santana in the lineup, you know, he wasn't even on the depth chart a month ago, obviously. Now he's out there. You know, Greg Allen's defense and Ray Field may keep him on the field more uh, than his bat should be in the lineup. But you, somebody's got to play defense out there alongside of, of Oscar Mercado. And that's what Allen can do better than, than the other options. Luplo's going to hit against lefties as he should. Uh, we'll see how much he's going to hit against righties. But I'm more concerned about the down ballot playing time here that Santana's taking from somebody like DeShields in a year where we're all trying to find other sources of steals. Uh, he gets impacted here. And if you have a Jake Bauer share, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Jason, um, that's that's a lot coming from you because I know uh, being a big Rays guy, you're kind of my guy I go to. I'm like, hey, what do you, you know, for many years now, I'm like, hey, what do you think about this guy coming up? What's up with Jose Alvarado? Uh, so I was really curious on your take of uh, Jake Bowers. And apparently, yeah, guy sucks. Uh, I yeah wasn't a big fan of the approach when he was when he was here when the trade happened I was like this works for me and uh, but it, and it, last year I said he wasn't going to be a top three fifty player and part of my bold predictions at Rotowire and took some crap for it but he didn't finish in the top three fifty uh, and I didn't have him this year but that's where you know my concern Greg Allen's the guy that I'd like this year only because again that defense and that speed we know he can run it's just a matter of can he hit enough to stay in the lineup and hitting down there in the ninth if he can get on base in front of Lindor and Mercado and Santana and Ramirez and Franmil. That's a really good, that second leadoff spot down there at the bottom of the order. I think Allen has a lot of profit if he can stay in the lineup. 
Yeah, and I was just going to say, I think one of the reasons why we're so inherently rooting for Jake Bowers, I think somewhere deep down inside, is just because the name is so close to Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland's character. From How 20. dare you steal my joke? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a running joke on the podcast with me and Paul. Every time Jake Bowers comes up, I reference his father. Great show. So, uh, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's move on and talk about uh, some of the hard to value players. Uh, and Jason was nice enough to list out uh, their ADP uh, and the range in the online drafts since uh, the first of the year. So uh, we're going to start with uh, Alberto Mondesi, uh, ADP of thirty three, a min pick of twenty one, and a max pick of forty nine. Uh, and I, I mention this because I've been in a few drafts. Where he's gone super super early, like uh, I, I was in the uh, FPAS draft in October, where he went, I believe, eleventh or twelfth overall, uh, and then I was in a draft recently where he went outside the top fifty. So, Vlad, where do you take Mondesi? So that thing I was talking about about being more conservative for some reason, players like this, um, I don't know why. I just have I have a soft spot for. Um, Mondesi is, for whatever reason, one of the most polarizing players in in fantasy, and it's because a lot of uh, you know baseball stat purists are like, how can this guy be good if you know he has such horrendous plate discipline? But the fact of the matter is, he's a very fantasy uh, valuable fantasy asset if he's healthy. Um, and I think some people might be just overthinking um, what you know how good he could be if that shoulder is okay. He's supposed to be ready by opening day. Some of the reasons against it, of course, the bad plate discipline, the fact that Mike Matheny teams don't run, this and that. But, I mean, last year he played in, what, 102 games only. Uh, he was three stolen bases shy of the major league lead, and he was tied for the major league lead in triples. Um, he's really fast. He's really good for fantasy, and he's got a lot of stolen base upside. So I've landed a few shares on my early teams. Um, I don't want to have too many of these type of guys that I'm kind of concerned about being hurt or that could hurt my club early. So if I have a Mondesi, it's because I started off with a solid base like a Freeman or Arnado early. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Jason? So I'll reference a tweet that our friend Doug Dennis made this morning. I'll read it verbatim. He said, to me, the biggest part to improving one's fantasy baseball skills is learning how to handle risk. I felt this to be true for 25 plus years. I've played and I'm still learning. Best players better than me, do this beautifully, instinctively, and quite often differently. So Vlad laid out a path on how you can do this. I mean, for me, you know, last year, again, I was not, I was in the anti-Mondesi camp and said he wouldn't be a top 50 player. It only worked out for me because he got hurt. Uh, but the problem is he did get hurt. And he got hurt twice and he got hurt with his shoulder twice. And so the first time it was uh, a separated shoulder. And then the second time uh, ended up tearing his labrum, which he had done the first time a little bit, but it made it worse the second time. So he had surgery on October 3rd. Torn labrum for a hitter is five to six months. And so that gets us, obviously, he's not going to be ready to start camp here. He's going to be out there running around doing the leg thing, but it's the hitting that I'm worried about. Now, we already had a pretty risky hit profile. Yeah, the hard contact's amazing, and he swings at everything. And when he does make contact, he can hit rockets and run them in doubles and triples and whatnot. So there's no denying what his upside could be, but the floor was already there. And now the floor coming off major shoulder surgery concerns me. Like when I see... Uh, range in 20, I'm not taking him in the top 50, but that's me, even if I were to build that kind of skill, because I could see some other players that have a safer 
a safer floor uh, than what this profile does. But this this was already a risky profile, and with this coming off the major shoulder surgery, it's going to take him some time to get his timing back, and he could really start slowly out of the gate. And maybe he's a strong second-half player, so maybe there's a buying opportunity there, but very concerned about him in the first half of the season. Yeah, that's my biggest issue is, is the shoulder surgery. I've pretty much avoided him completely in drafts thus far just because I don't know like what he's going to be like after after that surgery. Uh, if I knew he's healthy, if I knew that he was actually going to be fine opening day, I think he's a borderline first round player. I think he's I think he's got that much upside. Like Vlad said, in you know what, just 102 games, he stole 43 bases last year uh, and had almost double digit home runs. So. I mean, we're talking about a guy who potentially could be like a fifteen sixty guy, uh, and I was wrong on him last year. I, I freely admit it that I was low man on him. I did not like the plate discipline. I uh, did not like the profile, but he proved me wrong. I'm willing to go to bat for him, but I need to know that he's healthy because it's so hard to invest a second or a third round pick into a player, not knowing whether or not they're going to be on the field, you know, in April. Or May. So uh, I need to know that he's healthy before I'm willing to take that shot. Yeah, and I think some of that also is, is uh, I think, kind of touched on it, but, but roster construction. Like, if you have uh, a good handful of stolen bases, I mean, there are a lot of guys that steal bases that are among the league leaders in those first couple rounds. And if, you know, if you have some of those guys, then Mondesi doesn't really fit, fit your team construct. Same thing if you, you know, you started off with, like, a, a Tatis, who has some injury concerns himself, then, you know, him, him and Mondesi maybe don't make sense. And same thing with, like, overall competitions, like, you know, teams that are are contests with that national component. Um, that might be a spot where you could use a Mondesi, where more closed, like, satellite leagues, it might be, you, you don't really need to take the risk there. Speaking of injuries, uh, Eugenio Suarez uh, is uh, dealing with an injury, though news so far has been fairly good on him. His ADP right now is 76, a range of 51 to 111. So, Vlad, where are you taking Suarez? I haven't yet this year. Uh, I've done kind of like eight drafts so far. Um, it's nothing really against him personally. I really don't mind in, in, in the right spot. He is a really good hitter. He's one of the best uh, power hitters in baseball. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the price has dropped a little bit, but not as much as I thought it would be. And that's because you've got that good no news coming out saying that he'll likely be back from opening day, uh, following the minor shoulder surgery. Um, the one thing that kind of interested me and I know stat cast and, and hard hit rate isn't the end all be all, but he's kind of middle of the pack, which kind of interested me right now. Um, you know, I, I take a slice for the right price and that's if he fell a little bit past ADP because there are just guys like Josh Donaldson, um, that go a little bit later, who I like just as much, if not more than him. Same thing with like a Miguel Sano. I really like being part of that uh, Twins offense this year. Jason? Yeah, I mean, all stats are linear, right? So the fact that his home run total is 13, 21, 26, 34, 49, we should project 58, 60 home runs this year, yes? Sounds about right. That's okay, about right. just checking. Uh, so, I mean... Obviously, obviously, shoulder concerns yet again. Yeah, everybody knows what my history is on shoulder uh, with guys coming off shoulder surgery. Matt Carpenter being my terrible example, but he never had the surgery, so that that's my sticking point uh, on that. But with with 
Suarez, what's what's tough to overlook is we're talking about a guy who's had 600 plus plate appearances over the last four seasons. That's not easy to do uh, to have year after year after year. He's had one stint on the DL in four years. He may start the season on it, uh, may miss a couple of weeks, but I'm not I'm not uncomfortable with the price he's going. I mean, when you look at you again, said 76 range of 51 to 111. I'll be towards the back half of that range right now. But the 76 price doesn't terribly concern me as much as the price that Mondesi we just talked about is is Suarez going to hit 40 home runs this year I'm going to I'm going to take the under on that but I'll take the over on 30 home runs but the run production will be there it's just going to be somewhere in between somewhere closer to the 17 18 range than what we saw last year all right uh let's uh let's talk about a guy who's perpetually on this kind of list and that's Zach Greinke and Every year we have concerns about velocity and age, and is this finally the year where Zach Greinke falls off the cliff? And then Zach Greinke goes out and does Zach Greinke-type things. So, Vlad, I'll start with you because you're the Dodgers uh, homer, and he's a former Dodger. Uh, what are your thoughts on Zach Greinke this year? Is he going to return draft value, or is this finally the year he falls off? I I. I don't see why any specific reason why he would fall off. I mean, it's it's freaking Grinky, man. He is a gamer. He's a competitor. He's a stud. Uh, he's going to be probably a good manager in the league someday, um, you know, if you can work on his communication skills. But he is uh, last six of his last seven seasons. The guy has posted an earn run averages under 325. Last year, he was under three. Uh, this is really, really good, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I don't know what it is, but. People don't love to draft Zach Greinke. Uh, he is, they'll always take some sort of sexy name above him. Um, every draft that I've been in so far, he's always falling like around past his ADP. Like nobody wants a piece of him and he's nice and safe. And it's because everybody wants those guys that are, you know, busting the 27 plus percent strikeout rate. And, you know, he isn't a big strikeout guy. Uh, but he's also not uh, Mike Soroka and Miles McCullough. So um, I like Granky a lot. Um, do I end up with him on a lot of teams? No, just because that's just the way it works. And, you know, I like some sexy pitchers myself, but I've got absolutely no issue with him. Jason, what are you doing, Zach Granky, this year? I'm not going to. Uh... This, I'm not going to disagree with anything Vlad said. My thing with Granky, with everything going on in Astros camp and given his personality issues, how he handles everything, is there anybody that could benefit more from staying away from camp and being late than him? I think that this is actually a good thing for him. Last year, he was like two days late coming to camp. This year, he's, he's talking about not even reporting until six days from now. We're recording on the 16th. I think he reports on, on the 22nd is what he's saying. So for me, it's like, let all of this crap settle down because you know, he's not great with the media to begin with. They're going to be asking everybody everything. Let it try. It's Hopefully, it's going to die down a little bit, but it's not. I mean, we're already seeing that the commissioner has to do a press conference at 430 today because everybody wants to be in every astro that comes to the plate but you know to me i like grinky I, I, I there's a lot of safety it's very high floor type of thing and to me i actually like the fact that he's starting camp late he doesn't need a full camp uh he's called it boring in the past uh but did let all the other guys uh take it to take the attention from all this questioning right now i think this is a good thing for him let him focus on what he does he's a you know he's an interesting cat but i again i really think this benefits him uh at the same time as a veteran he should be out there taking some of that flack from some of the younger guys on the team having to answer these questions too uh, i completely agree I, he's the one guy that you don't like i i really think that this kind of stuff would affect him 
because of his, uh, you know, social anxiety issues and talking to the press issues. So uh, the longer he can stay away from camp, I think the better. All right, uh, let's talk about a guy that I've drafted a couple times, once before his injury and now once after his injury. And so my question to you guys is, is James Paxton a good bet, Jason? All right, so I think you took him in the 19th round in the Barf League, uh, if I was listening. And I like that. 19th round, fine. I, uh, this gets back to when guys are going to come back because pitching is all about building up arm strength, building up repetition. We see that Paxton had his surgery on uh, February 5th. He tried to work all winter around this, and he was trying to build. He was trying to avoid surgery, so so that's the stuff he was working on. Now he's got to shut it down. He can't even throw a baseball until uh, about two weeks before the season starts. Then he's got to build up arm strength, and then sometimes people have this expectation of okay, once the guy's back, he's back. And that's the other part of this. So maybe he gets back on the active roster, but his first outing, maybe he's at 60 pitches or 75 pitches. It takes a couple of weeks there. So for me, like I don't see James Paxton pitching meaningful baseball until closer to Memorial Day. Uh, that said, once you get him, you should get some really damn good baseball out of him. Last year, it was a, a couple of split seasons, started off. It started off pretty good, got hurt, came back perhaps too early, which is a good reminder of what happens this time, and really sucked out of the gate. But then over the final two months of the season, there were fewer pitchers better than baseball. I mean, if you had Jack Flaherty and James Paxton to close out the year, you probably won your league because those two guys were unbelievable. Uh, and so, but Paxton, what he pitched over the final two uh two months of the season, that's what he's capable of. So in a 19th round, yeah, I'm very happy with that pick. But we've seen this pick slide down a little bit here. I mean, he's uh, you know now going into 130s, uh, 134, but the, he's dropped as low as 259. And to me, that's a buying opportunity, a tremendous buying opportunity. If you can get him for four months of the year and get him uh, in the around the 250 range, great buy by somebody. Vlad, what, I, I know you were the guy who cautioned me against taking all those injured players uh, at the main event last year. And obviously you were right because you're a soothsayer. What say you <laughs> on James Baxton? Man, so here's the thing. If you already have Mondesi and Clevenger, then stay away from James Baxton. There you go. Um, you know what? I've seen him um, a little bit of a different scenario in, in some uh, drafts that I've been doing where he's kind of falling into that 150, 170 range, which is interesting. Um, he's falling in around guys like Voltenowitz, Joe Musgrove, Jake Odorizzi, David Price. And it and it really makes you think. And a lot of it has to do with, obviously, roster construction, making sure that, okay, this is the, you know, the horse that I believe in that is starting off the season slow that I have to wait for. And like Jason said, you have to consider he's not just going to be hot out the gate. So it is going to be somewhere closer to Memorial Day. At that point, there will be still a lot of season left to play. And you can get a lot of value out of them. But there's if there's one thing that James Paxton does well, it's find his way to the injured list every single year. Um, back then it was the disabled list. And it sucks, but I've always been a fan. There's he's always a guy where like, ah, this is the year. This is the year he's gonna, you know, finally get hundred, you know, ninety plus innings and just have that ultimate season. And it just never happens. And now we have this setback. So I don't know. There are just so many players that we can have in a draft. That I don't know. Like I think if I'm at that point looking at Fultonowitz or Paxton, I might prefer the full season of Fulty. So it just depends on sort of what I have at that point. Is this? It's like is this my um, starting pitcher four or my starting pitcher six, for example? And that'll make a determination whether Paxton's worth the stab at that point. I think that's very fair. 
Uh, let's talk about Will Smith, because I've seen him go all over the place. And we're talking about pitcher Will Smith, uh, not catcher Will Smith. Uh, some, nor rapper. Nor Sorry. rapper Will Smith. His ADP much higher uh, than both pitcher and catcher. But some people are taking him like he's going to close. And some people are taking Melanson like he's going to close. And others are, are kind of ignoring both. So, Vlad, where are you at on Will Smith, the pitcher? Is he a guy that you think has a shot at closing? So, Will Smith, the pitcher, is amazing. Will Smith, the closer, we don't know about yet. And that's sort of the problem and, and one of the issues with ADP is because he's such a dominant reliever, his ADP comes in higher than Melanson. And what's that really based off of? Is everything that I know is that Melanson's going to get the first stab and that they're going to want to use Will Smith as that, you know, you know, like Andrew Miller was for a few years there, like that leverage guy, that guy that can pitch, you know, an, an inning and a third, an inning two thirds and and really dominate. Um, he's one of Will Smith is one of only 15 relievers with a strikeout rate over 35 percent the last two years. Um, and he's great for high leverage situations. So it really all depends on Melanson. And Melanson's just kind of he can cruise along all year, do his thing and get 40 saves for a really good team. And never, you know, let Will Smith materialize. But obviously, Will Smith is good enough that he can take that rollover. And there are going to be scenarios where Will Smith will get some saves, so he'll have some value. But my problem is, is that headache. I hate having to deal with closer situations like there, like in Tampa Bay. You know, another one. Nick Anderson is amazing, but he's going to close over Alvarado and uh, Diego Castillo. We don't know. So these are just tough scenarios to be a part of that I truly like to avoid. Yeah. It- so I'll, I'll preface this. I My home NL League is a saves and holds league. And this morning I traded Will Smith, the pitcher, to the guy that already had Will Smith, the catcher. Uh, and I traded him straight up. I had Will Smith at $2 in that format. And I traded him for a $10 Gregory Polanco uh, in that league only because I have Seth Lugo, Andres Munoz. I have a lot of guys that are already good in the saves plus holds area valued. And I wanted some more offense. So I, I did do that deal. But Smith's kind of weird. Like if you look at his stat cast profile – Strikeout rate, as you guys mentioned, very high. Uh, expected outcomes, very high. But then, like, exit velocity, hard hit was right in the, on the bad side. It was, in, in like, in the, the bottom third last year. And where his role plays out, we don't know. We saw some issues with, with home runs in the second half last year, closing for the Giants. Sometimes you worry about a pitcher signing a new deal, having to move across country. But in Will Smith's case, he's from Atlanta. So this was a – he's coming home. So that, that factor, uh, soft skill factor is removed uh, in this particular case. But uh, I'm with – Vlad, there's 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 multiple guys in his bullpen that could serve in the role. So in a straight saves league, I'm concerned in a saves plus holds. I still like him a lot. But again, I, I made that trade straight up based on my my personal need. But this guy, he's fully back from the Tommy John surgery that he had with Milwaukee. Uh, we And we saw that last year. Uh, and that's really what you wanted to see. You saw it towards the end of 18 is the reason why I drafted him at $2 last year at, at 19. And I got a nice return on investment for that. And so I flipped him at what I perceived as full value. And I'll take Polanco on the bounce back. Yeah, my, my issue with Will Smith isn't necessarily that I think he isn't uh, worth what he's being taken at right now at, around pick 130. It's more of a matter of the cl- other closers who are going off the board around him uh, that have the job to themselves, at least for the time being. And so I, I think I'd rather, if especially if I'm looking for saves, I'd rather take the guy that I feel pretty confident is going to be the guy, at least initially, in, uh, I don't know, like, Rossiel Iglesias is going there, 
Alex Colome is going, you know, 15 picks later. Uh, Jose Leclerc going like 25 picks later. I just would rather take one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ramirez and, is still in there too. Yeah, and this team has got like what four or five like guys that actually have major league experience with with closing. Um, it, yep. It's pretty amazing. It's they're Chris loaded. Martin, Chris Martin, Shane Green. Yeah, Luke, Luke Jackson, Jackson has experience. Air quotes. Uh, yep. Not good, but has experience. But Chris Martin sitting there who uh, can do the job. So I agree. This this is so much. There's so much depth here. Maybe somebody gets the job here full time. Maybe not. Uh, it, it could be a matchup situation where lefties coming. Okay, we'll let Smith. He can pitch both of them. Uh, or if it's a lot of righties, we'll let Melanson come in with a slider. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about another Dodger, Julio Urias. Uh, I just don't know what to make of this Dodger rotation. So Vlad, can you make anything of it? I can make a little bit. Um, they have a lot of great talent, and they have the best, uh, basically, ratios over the last like three, four years, uh, rotation ratio, ERA and WHIP. I mean, this is a, a great place to, to target your pitchers. You can even have a strategy where you just load up on a few of these guys and just kind of let it rip. Uh, I think if you did that last year, I think that worked out really well, especially with like a 200 overall uh, Hyunjin Ryu who ended up being a top like seven pitcher. Um, Urias is... Very talented. Let me just, you know, so people know with the Dodgers, I feel like I'm specifically hard on them because, um, you know, I don't want to have that inherent bias that one has for their own team. Like, I love the Dodgers. I want to root for them, but I'm a fantasy player first. I want to, you know, give the best advice and I want to make money. That said, I think Urias is legit, man. I think he's a top 12 pitcher in baseball, uh, starting pitcher. And it's really just about the innings. That's what it comes down to. So it's a matter of what we project as much as we can read out there, as much as we can, you know, get a get a feel for how many how he's going to be babied. Remember, two years ago, they were going to baby Walker Bueller and they really didn't not until really towards the end of the year. So I think 150 innings is is possible. I think it's possible. Last year, the lowest exit velocity in baseball, 83 uh, miles per hour, the lowest hard hit percentage per stat cast, only 25% of the uh, of balls hit uh, against him went over 95 miles per hour. Um, this guy is really good. He's got some character issues, I believe, and, and some issues in that regard. But if he can just settle in and pitch – um, I think it's I think it's a good spot. I think guys like him and Lazardo are really tough to value because they're they're really talented guys. We just don't know how much we're gonna get out of them. Well, and I think that's the importance of your roster construction. If you've got a guy up top that you feel pretty confident you're gonna get two hundred or close to two hundred innings from, it's easier to take a guy like uh, Urias or Lazardo that is you know, we expect to be very good when they pitch. We just don't know what the total amount of innings are going to be. So pairing them with one of those guys, you know, if you, especially if you start off either DeGrom or Cole or, or Scherzer or Verlander, uh, you know, having one of these guys as your, you know, your number three, number four starting pitcher really kind of sets your, your rotation up fairly nicely. Jason, what are your thoughts on your ass? So I think, honestly, I think this is Julio Stripling is what this is going to end up being. I mean, when you look at, uh-huh. I, I would be concerned about him going from 150 only because he threw 80 last year. Let's go 80 to 150 before the age of 24. A lot of pitcher, a lot of organizations like like a 20, 25% increase in workload year over year. That would almost be doubling his workload. But I see this, uh, honestly, as a, as a Julio Stripling issue because what we, all the, the metrics for Urias are nice and all, but 
he had 37 outings last year. Only 15 of those did he face a lineup a second time through. And so we don't know what he can do stamina-wise because even he had four outings where he faced more than 13 batters last year. So it's one thing to dominate guys when you only have to face them once or you know you're only going to be throwing you know 50 pitches. But now that you got to pace yourself over a start and, and you're trying to get to the 90, 100 pitch plateau, how are things going to be different for him? So that's where I, I want to see it before I can invest in him. But again, I might like workload for him. I think it's closer to 120 than 150. And at that, depending on your league format, makes him really tough to roster if he's only going to work 120 innings. All right, let's talk about uh, another guy who, while he isn't injured now, uh, the reason he's going so low is because he was injured last year and missed uh, the entire season. That's Sal Perez. Catcher is not an easy uh, position to roster two guys at if you're in NFBC or, or two catcher leagues. So Sal Perez offers a potential bargain at uh, pick 162. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on Sal Perez? You know, I've never fully valued or appreciate this guy well. I've never had him on a team. Uh, and he always, every time he goes, I'm like, wow, he went for a lot. But, you know, for that for that time when he was consistent, 20 home runs, 50-something RBIs, 70, 80 runs, there was like that consistency. And that's, from the catching positions, really tough to get. That said, I don't know how to really, how am I going to deal with a guy that's been away from baseball for a full season yeah it's, it's like yeah you could hit in the batting cages or whatever but full live pitching relievers all the different factors he's been away for it from a for a full season so it's really tough for me to get back into hey Perez is going to hit 20 score 50 plotting around the bases and drive in 70 to 80 runs again I, I, I can't get on board with that. I'm looking more like if you look at his 2014 season when he hit 17 home runs, drove in 70 and hit 260. I think that's attainable, but that, that's where I, that's where my ceiling is for him. So if I didn't truly appreciate him before, I have more. Uh, I'm looking at him with a raised eyebrow now saying, is he really going to be able to get back there? So that's where I am. Uh, maybe Vlad's different. Vlad, do you appreciate Sal Perez? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've owned him in the past but I, I have this thing with uh, with catchers that I really don't go out of my way to grab some and I just look for for late round value um I don't have any shares yet but around where he going where he's going it's not a, a bad deal if we believe that he's going to be okay um you know he's Right now, he's at 90% participation level. He's supposed to not have any restrictions. And, um, you know, Dayton Moore thinks both him and Mondesi are going to be ready for opening day. Of course, those are quotes that we have now, and there's no, you know, no way to substantiate it or get truth out of it. But Sal Perez himself claims that he feels good. Um, he has lost 22 pounds uh, this offseason. But keep in mind, that's kind of thrown off because he put on those 22 pounds the previous year because he claims to be eating a lot because he was recovering from surgery. So um, I don't know. So, you know, don't go with the whole weight loss thing. He's going to be a solid 25, you know, 2025 home run guy, you know, around pick 200. I'm totally fine with it. And the other thing, he became an American citizen in January. So welcome to uh, welcome to America. So. Well, that should bump him up like 20, 30 spots, right? <laughs> I mean, um, at the catch position, really, he's right now he's catcher eight uh, or catcher seven off the board. Behind him is Ramos, Vasquez, Narvaez, Kelly. So it's not like there's a, a number of guys behind him. It's like, oh, I would definitely take that guy over him. He's, he's really, you know, unless you're on the a Jorge Alfaro hard hard contact train and you think he uh, catcher 13 is a nice bargain. 
you know, he's properly placed right now. I don't have a problem with him going 162 overall and catcher seven because, you know, before the injury, he was like catcher three. He was always in the top three at the position. All right. Uh, another guy coming back from injury is Lance McCullers. If you've seen any of like his bullpen work uh, or his offseason work, you know, via video on Twitter or YouTube, you have to be impressed by how he looks so far. The question is, how many innings can we really expect from a guy like Lance McCullers? I think Colin McHugh tweeted out something along the lines of like 200 innings guaranteed. I- I'm definitely not <laughs> buying that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, you know, he's one of those guys that if he can just get like 120, 140, I think he could be a real difference maker if he's healthy. But Vlad, where are you at on Lance McCullers? Uh, I like him, and, and that's the thing is I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my roster construction where uh, a guy like McCullers or a guy like Urias or Lazardo, I'm taking in scenarios where I don't already have a Sale or a Clevenger, guys that I'm worried about injury-wise. Like if I have a horse or, you know, I started with the, you know, with the old uh, uh, shout-out to Batflip Crazy, pocket aces – um, then that gives you a little bit more stability to to maybe grab a McCullers. And that would be McCullers as an SP4, not a 3. I think one of the mistakes people make, um, I mean, listen, to each their own, but I feel like sometimes when you go two pitchers early, you think that all of a sudden that allows you to wait like another 10, 12 rounds to grab your third. But I think the wise thing to do there is sort of double down, grab a, a better, like an SP3, really sort of win some of those categories and just kind of hope that you're going to get the best hitter, uh, hitters available. So uh, in general, I like McCullers and, uh, you know, random strategy take there. Sorry. All right. Uh, Jason, where are you out of McCullers? Uh, I'm down compared to the rest of the market. Like I looked at this, I looked, I went back and looked at all pitchers from 2015 to 2017 recovering from Tommy John surgery, like McCullers had. And I found five pitchers that had thrown at least 125, pardon me, 125 innings in their first full season back. Lance Lim was the high water at 186, uh, and that was two years ago in 2018 uh, when he started with the Twins, ended up with the Yankees. Andrew Heaney at 180, Vargas at 170, basically 180, Cobb at 179, and Pineda at 146. And like the ERAs of those guys, 343, 415, 416, 366, and 401. So five guys have been able to work 125 innings coming back from Tommy John surgery. I've been on record this whole winter talking about this and Michael Kopech and Garrett Richards, like three guys I don't want any part of at their market price because too many assumptions are being made about them coming back from Tommy John because of when they had the surgeries. You know, it, was, it wasn't just 12 months, it's been 16 months. But my rule of thumb is once there are two complete years ahead of that, that's when I'm back on board. Right now, no. I'm going to wait and maybe I'll get some share. Maybe I'll acquire some shares uh, of, of McCullers later in the year, depending on the role. But I am my workload for him i'm thinking 120 130 innings tops yeah i don't understand how the projection systems can all have him projected for more innings than he's ever projected or uh, pitched in his entire career like that it doesn't make sense to me the most amount of innings he's ever thrown uh at the major league level is 128 and a third and the bat has him for 138 atc has him for 129 Depth charts and steamer have him from 138. Like, I don't understand. Like, he missed all of last season. I love Lance McCullers, and I have a few shares already. But I, I'm I'm very skeptical of the projections uh, that are out there for him. I would be, feel much more comfortable projecting him for about 120 to 125. Yeah. And uh, then, I mean, let's not forget, before injury, his biggest issue was command of his pitches. 
And that is the last thing that comes back for these guys. And so it, would it be unusual to see a high walk rate and a whip in the one fours for him? No, it wouldn't. Yeah, the stuff's nasty when everything's there. But to have this expectation that it's all going to be there in April or May, again, go back and look at you, Darvish, last year, a guy that had pristine command before all that and then couldn't find a strike zone for three months of the year. And then it finally clicked later on in the year. Uh, but if we, we have recent history to look at this, a guy that we all admire and love and you Darvish, who was a terrible pitcher the first two months of the year last year because he couldn't command. It just takes longer for the command to come back after a Tommy John surgery. It is the last thing that comes back. Don't worry about the velocity. It may already be back. It's the command of the pitches. All right. We're going to finish up with Joe Adele. He's currently going at pick 218, a range of 181 through 350. Uh, I think part of the range is uh, the the brief trade of Jock Peterson and Rod Stripling uh, to the Angels that never actually happened uh, definitely hurt his draft stock at one point. So, Vlad, uh, here's my question for you. Where are you taking Joe Adele, or are you just kind of ignoring him altogether? So I jumped in a little bit too early uh, in, in early drafts. I remember in, in early January I was a little bit more bullish about his chances of uh, you know being – somebody that can make an immediate impact. And so uh, I think I may have set some uh, some ADP highs on him. But uh, since then, the price has fallen. Uh, and I think it's a fair price at this point. I think people are concerned with uh, the fact that he didn't really look all that great in AAA. But again, he was recovering from surgery and it was really his first cup of tea there. Um, the one thing people have to remember is if they can hold him out until the third week of April, um, then they're going to get another year of, uh, of service out of him. And so there's no reason for him to, even though he's technically competing with Brian Goodwin for that right field job, um, they're going to give it to Goodwin to start the year. And I think they'll probably let him sit in the minors and they don't need him right away. Uh, so that's that. But I think eventually he will be up with the team and he is somebody that could be like, you know, last year I targeted a lot of Fernando Tatis in like the 20th, 22nd round, and that paid off. This is another type of a stab I want to take. Granted, he's not going that late. Um, and then the final point about him is he's only 20 years old. So there's really no rush for him. I think a year from now, uh, he'll probably be a lot more fantasy valuable, but we'll see. I think in that range, he's potentially worth a stab as long as you don't have too many of these minor leaguers on your team. Jason? So a question I would have for both of you. So when he does come up, let's say they do the Chris Bryant thing and he comes up towards the end of April, like right now, Brian Goodwin's projected as the leadoff hitter for this team, which is laughable. Uh, but so at that point, do they allow Adele to hit leadoff or they put Lestella at leadoff and then they have uh, Adele hit towards the bottom of the order and earn his way up top? Right now, he's his outfield. He's, he's the 57th outfielder off the board. Behind him, Verdugo with the stress fracture in his back won't be ready to start the season. Upton, Arias, Hayes, Pollock, Brian Anderson. So it's like he's properly placed. I get back to this. Yeah. I mean, I like where he's going. I don't think there's any particular now, high of 181. I don't know if that was you, Vlad, but that's as high as he's gone here in the online drafts in 2020, but as low as 350. But he's properly placed. And the mm -hmm. upside is it's there, especially I like him a lot more if he does earn his way to the top of that lineup and gets to hit in front of uh, Trout and Rendon. That will be fun uh, but if he's gonna hit in the bottom the luster comes off him a little bit but then again like i said he's outside of the top 50 right now uh, i'm still in at this price if he starts jumping in up up in the top 50 i'm i'm out yeah and we've got wacky matt in here um i've even seen him discuss possibly using mike trout at leadoff so that would be oh, yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. for his value 
He used to love. He used to love putting guys that were in slumps and laid off. That was always his thing back in the Tampa Bay days. Like somebody was like over oh, their twenty, I'm gonna put your you're hitting leadoff today. He would do it with Longoria. He did it with just about everybody. And the funny thing is, it kind of worked. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like maybe they could put Albert Pujols in leadoff just to get him off base. Um, that's such a yeah. weird thing, man. It's such a weird thing for him. It's like he doesn't really. The Angels could compete. But this guy doesn't, he's going to eat up a lot of playing time. He doesn't belong in this roster. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Vlad, uh, remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug any work you got going on right now. Yeah, I'm at RotoGut on Twitter and um, with the uh, the Elite Fantasy Network. So my stuff is found over at fantasyguru.com. And uh, I've got a lot of stuff, uh, draft strategy articles out right now and a lot of in-season work. So, uh Come on board and would love to have you and let's win some money this year. Uh, Jason, what do you got going on? Let's see. All top, all 60 bold predictions are up at Rotowire. Uh, hitter and pitcher for all 30 teams. All that is in there. Uh, I did the article. We've talked a lot about the 200 ending pitch label and how liberally that's been thrown out this offseason, in my opinion. I, I wrote up the research on that. And so that article's going live at Rotowire this week. Uh, still trying to recover for arm surgery uh, so I can get to Florida and actually be able to raise my arm for the AL labor bids. Uh, I may have to bring a whistle. I told Steve Gardner I may have to have a flag or a whistle because I am a uh, right hand. I did and I may I may actually do the whole pen and paper thing because I I can't I can barely use my mouse right now a touchpad's not much fun and I can't type so I'm trying to get into this labor mindset because that auction is uh, less than two weeks away now and I need to figure out how I'm going to operate it because uh, I, I I'm I'm wounded I only have I have one arm tied behind my back almost literally you need a, you need a a, a a wise fantasy baseball minded intern perhaps mm-hmm. yes yes yes. I know Alex Fast will be there, so maybe you can just rope him in to to be your draft assistant. I did rope him in last year. He was my draft assistant for one of the baseball leagues that I auctioneered, and he did a fantastic job at that. Uh, but yeah, I may I may have to have somebody be like, "Hey, scratch that dude off," because uh, this is weird. I've never been I've never been wounded like this uh, at an auction. Hopefully, but in that time we all see each other in New York, hopefully I am uh, at least a little more mobile than this. But this this whole cast club thing I'm wearing right now is it sucks. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, I'm doing a ton of podcasts. If you listen to a ton of podcasts, you've heard me on a ton of podcasts this week because I'm uh, out promoting my uh, draft guide for Friends of Fantasy Benefits, which you can get on Amazon.com or you can email me uh, for the $7 PDF version, uh, Justin Mason Fantasy at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, and then lots of podcasts at Friends of Fantasy Benefits, TGFBI, all that jazz. And yeah, uh, that is going to do it for us. For uh, Vlad, Jason, and myself, thank you for listening. A fantastic baseball season. Thanks, guys. <laughs>